Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is your glorious host, Michael Shibley, with you here on yet another wonderful and awesome edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network, as well as the Outlander Media Network. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We've got another huge, jam-packed show here from the ace of Tennessee Sports Broadcasting, Michael Shibley, of course, your host. We've got college basketball. We've got plenty of football things to talk about, even though the NFL season is over. We've got a couple of legends and pioneers who passed away, and of course, a lot of big wrestling news. New champions in a couple of federations and big news all around, so it is another jammed pack show here on Modern Day Gladiators, which of course you can listen to on stagediverradio.com and also at outlandermedianetwork.net. You can check us out on both of those. There's a nice media player there. We can check out all the other shows that we've got, like JNB's DLC, Halfel, Deadbeat Radio, and more, including the Phantasm Podcast and plenty of other great stuff there. You can, of course, follow us on social media. You can follow the Modern Day Gladiators on uh, Instagram. You can also check me out, Michael Shibley, on Twitter. At, at Michael underscore Shibley will be the Twitter handle. And, of course, you can always check us out on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page where we post some live videos and photos and different things and new stories as they come available. So all the bonus content is there right now. Big things coming up, but that's where you can check us out right now. And, of course, the main thing you can do, any of the places you get your podcasts, where we are, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now Spotify. We are there, and wherever you listen and download, please like, subscribe, share, rate, review. That's how we get out there, and that helps us out. If you want to help local business and these local independent podcasters like us here at Stage Diver and Outlander Media, Check us out there. Give us those five-star reviews if we earned it. And if you think we did, let us know what you think with the comments and all that. And if you do, I will love you forever. And, of course, you can comment there as well. You can also still call the hotline, 865-888-0109. Or you can check out and shoot me an email personally at moderndaygladiators865 at gmail.com. And I will be happy to reply to any of your questions or anything you want. Maybe for the mailbag, if you ask a good question, I'll let you know about it on the air. But let's dive right into the main topics we got this week. And of course, we're starting with college basketball because it is heating up here in mid-February as we've got, of course, the new top 25 has come out and my beloved Tennessee Vols number one for the fourth straight week in a row. We have moved up to an 18-game winning streak. Tennessee, of course, defending their home court well, beating Missouri earlier in the week, 72-60, to and then over the weekend, getting the season sweep over the Florida Gators, 73-61. to Tennessee taking care of business. They've gotten back to playing a little bit better defense. They got a little lax at some points, but they are looking solid there. Um, they shot 53% to 35% against Florida, and what Grant Williams talked about after the game is if they had uh, done better on rebounding as it got out rebounded in both these games against Missouri and Florida but especially if they kept Florida for Florida from getting offensive rebounds they probably could have kept Florida shooting down to about 23 percent but they got a lot of second chance points Florida was always kind of able to close the gap Tennessee would then widen it Florida would come back Tennessee finally got to about a 19 point lead late in the second half and then took their foot off the gas and ended up at 73 61 so that has been wonderful Man, I am always just excited with everything going on, with everything with the Vols. I am just enjoying it again. I know it's mid-February. This is not March. This is not the NCAA tournament. But it is great to just kind of sit back and enjoy Tennessee basketball being number one and just the way the crowd is. Here in Knoxville, the crowd, the communities behind them, this team is just great to fall in love with. These guys have been around. They're great ambassadors to the university. It's been wonderful to see. And of course, it was also great to have the student section just gator chomp the gators and send them back to Gainesville with their tails between their legs, even though I think that's physically impossible for a gator to do, but they did. So it was cool to see the gator chomp like that. But again, the uh, the top 25 has been very busy, especially the top five. You've had some other great things going on. Duke uh, keeps their number two spot. They won uh, at UVA, which was number three. 
at the time, 81 to 71. Zion Williamson is still just amazing. He shouldn't even be playing college basketball. He should have been one of these guys who could have jumped right to the NBA and been a factor there. The block he had, just blocking that three-point attempt. Are you kidding me? You got to check this out on YouTube. Was he, I mean, he came from under the basket and jumped all the way out to block a three-point attempt. It was amazing to see. That was great. And Duke has got... Uh, They've got another tough test. Uh, as of this recording, they're playing Louisville here in the next couple of hours. Uh, so that one should be a big matchup. Gonzaga moves up now to number three. They haven't lost since they lost the game to Tennessee there in Arizona. So they've been constant. Of course, when you play out in the West Coast Conference, sometimes it's tough to get quality opponents all the time. Uh, I mean, they beat St. Mary's by like 50 points, I think, over the weekend. So... Still, they're still a very good team. I mean, I wouldn't want to play them again if we meet, met them in the NCAA tournament. UVA, they did drop back down to number four, uh, losing against Duke, but they rebounded nicely and won at number eight North Carolina 69-61 on Monday, which was a really big one, especially a road win. Any road win in the ACC is huge. And then, of course, you've got number five, Kentucky. They won at Mississippi State, 71-67. They are playing LSU tonight as of this recording. They're hosting that. And then, of course, the big matchup with Kentucky and Tennessee. They're in Rupp Arena, 8 p.m., Saturday, primetime. Game day is going to be there. That's one that is going to be worth watching. A great matchup. You've got, of course, the established Tennessee team who's been through the the ringer, a veteran team that has just gelled into this great unit, and then you've got the young Kentucky talent, including a, a couple of, like, P.J. Washington is actually a sophomore who stayed, which is amazing with a lot of these Kentucky players, but P.J. Washington is a star for them. So that's just going to be another great atmosphere. I mean, I don't like Kentucky at all. That Big Blue Nation, they're off a rocker when it comes to a lot of this stuff, but it should be amazing to see. Of course, Tennessee, they still have to play South Carolina. It's a home game against South Carolina. That's going to be on Wednesday night. Silva, who can score 30 points quickly if you let him, and he did that when uh, Tennessee and South Carolina played earlier in the season. Of course, Tennessee blew out South Carolina, but Silva is still a big factor there. So Tennessee still has to focus on that first, and Kentucky has to take care of a ranked LSU team uh, coming into their place. But again, the big matchup is going to be Saturday between Tennessee and Kentucky. No team has beaten Kentucky more than Tennessee in the SEC. That's, I mean, Kentucky has got a, a high winning percentage against all SEC teams, but Tennessee has beaten them the most. Ray Mears and Adolph Rupp used to go at it all the time back in the day, which was fun. Rick Barnes right now is 4-3 and three against Kentucky, uh, so we'll have to see how this all shapes out. It wouldn't surprise me if the losing streak comes to an end at 19 games. Tennessee beats South Carolina, but then comes in and loses at Kentucky. There's no shame in that, even if you are the number one ranked team. Kentucky, they are not the same team that got blown out by Duke at the beginning of the season. If you still think that, I don't know how much I can do to convince you otherwise. But you have to pay attention to that and look out that they have become better They are doing well. Calipari always gets this team going. Yes, he has a couple of missteps some of these seasons with this talent. They just don't gel together. But this team has come together and been very quietly, as I've said on this podcast, they're quietly back in the top five where they pretty much should be. They're a very good team. And Tennessee fans need to be aware of that. As much as I love my Vols, It wouldn't surprise me if they lost at Rupp. Of course, it wouldn't surprise me either if Tennessee came out and rolled over Kentucky big when they come to Thompson Bowling Arena in a couple weeks. If they split the series, it's not going to surprise me. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. I'm excited to watch it. It's going to be amazing. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Rounding out the top 10 in college basketball, Michigan at number 6, Nevada maintaining strong at number 7. North Carolina, number eight. Of course, they just lost to UVA. Houston doing really well. Sampson, who, of course, was had to leave Indiana in disgrace, has done well with Houston, got them into the top ten. I think they've only lost one game so far this season. And then Marquette cracking the top ten, which is good to see. They had a great game against Villanova. They're in a great Big East matchup. Uh, Marquette getting the win at the last second, which was just an incredible atmosphere there. 
and uh, great to see the Big East with great basketball schools doing what they do. So college basketball is here. This is when the things start to the pressure starts to turn up. Tennessee, they've got two games against Kentucky. They've got to go at LSU. They've got to go at Old Miss. They've got Mississippi State still to play. And then, of course, at Auburn to end the season. So, again, the road is not easy for Tennessee. I would love for Tennessee to sweep the SEC. I don't see that happening. I think there could be a loss or two in there. But if Tennessee just maintains, I would love for them to, again, win a second consecutive SEC championship in the regular season. And I'd love for them to win the tournament. We haven't won that tournament since 1979. It's been 40 years, okay? That's even longer than I've been alive. I was born in 83, so it's one of the things Tennessee hasn't done or they've done before that they just haven't done again. I think 10 other SEC teams have won the SEC tournament since Tennessee last won it. So just something to keep in mind as we get into this. But this is when these rivalry games pick up. Duke and North Carolina are going to play each other twice here in the next few weeks. So again, exciting time in college basketball as then we start the March toward the madness in March, and we see where the seedings are going to come and all that great stuff. It's just an exciting time, and I'm pumped about it. I'm so amped. It's going to be great. But meanwhile, to a more controversial uh, topic we're talking about here in the second uh, story here in the lead block here on Modern Day Gladiators is uh, some controversy in the NFL. We can't even go two weeks without there not – there hasn't been games – for two weeks now, and yet we're still talking, we're still talking, or just over a week. I I can't even get my days. We haven't had NFL for a little while, and we still can't get away from talking NFL as they keep making news and keep being in the headlines as uh, former Kansas City uh, Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt was signed by the Cleveland Browns yesterday. Uh, It's a one-year deal. The Chiefs, for those of you who don't remember, uh, we talked about this on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast back in November. They released Hunt uh, after video that TMZ found surfaced of him uh, shoving and kicking a woman last February back in Cleveland at the housing uh, apartments where Kareem Hunt was um, was living at the time. Uh, Hunt is still on the commissioner's exempt list. He's not eligible to play until the NFL investigation into what has happened has been complete. So he still can be suspended, and most people are thinking he's probably going to be suspended at least for eight games uh, or even ten is what people are thinking at this point. Um, Brown's general manager, John Dorsey, he drafted Hunt. Uh, when he was the GM at Kansas City. Of course, they're going to have him on a zero-tolerance policy, all this other things. Now, just one of the things, again, to keep in mind is that the Cleveland police and DA's office and everything, they did not file any charges. They did not arrest Kareem Hunt at all after this incident. Uh, So that's, again, something to keep in mind, and it's something I always am interested in when you talk about people coming in because again Kareem Hunt a very talented running back I think he had like over 1300 yards his rookie season and he was well on his way to matching that uh before the suspension happened there with Kansas City and the Chiefs I thought the optics with them getting rid of him uh and cutting him after the video came out even though he's a valuable asset in their Super Bowl run or at least the run to try and get to the Super Bowl it was good but again I've and again, you have to weigh all of these different scenarios. You look at the Ray Rice scenario. You look at some of the other instances that have come up in time. The, the, the Joe Mixon video from Oklahoma or even Chiefs, uh, former, he's not former Chief, he's the current Chief wide receiver Tyreek Hill uh, back in college. He strangled his then pregnant girlfriend. So these are just things when you think about it and you see Ezekiel Elliott, the instance that they talked about with that, and all these things, you have to do them on a case-by-case basis. There there can't really be, one would think, a block of rules that you have where everything is uniform when it comes to this. Because remember, it, this is who you need to get mad at. You, you can't, the NFL can't be the moral authority or even, they could be the moral authority. But they can't be the law and order when it comes to punishing people, especially if police 
and the district attorney office, if you're going to be mad at anybody in all of this, and I said this when the Ray Rice video came out, is because Ray Rice was barely punished for what happened, if you remember that elevator video, and then Kareem Hunt was not arrested. If you're going to be mad at anybody for striking a woman of any kind, and there's video of it, you should be mad at the Cleveland Police Department and the district attorney, just like the Atlantic City uh, Police Department with the handling of the Ray Rice case. Again, I don't want the NFL as a business to be the ones to have to pass judgment based on different things like that. I mean, you look at even, too, the Ramon Foster uh, with the Redskins. He was signed by the Redskins. I mean, they're taking a chance on him. We'll have to see. The optics is, is not good with that right now. I would wish that the NFL, though, would at least put in a rule where no team can sign anybody that's on the commissioner's exempt list until they have been either taken off or they have concluded their investigation into what happened. Again, he is a talented running back, and that's one of the other things you look at with this. It, the talent outweighs the problem when it comes to that. And the, the NFL is making a judgment call. The Browns have made that call. He can really help that backfield with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, they've already got Nick Chubb, who did very well for himself uh, with Cleveland. Of course, they've got Duke Johnson, who just signed a new extension, I believe, with the Cleveland Browns to help Baker Mayfield there in the backfield. So that's something to consider. And again, you have to be balanced with that. Really, if you're someone who is upset about it, and you can be upset, you can choose to, like people have been doing with their belief against Colin Kaepernick or NFL stance on head injuries, you can choose to vote pretty much with your wallet and protest with that. Don't renew your season tickets if you're a Cleveland Browns fan and don't like the fact that they might have Kareem Hunt on the team. Don't watch those games. Uh, Don't buy the jerseys and the shirts. That's how you can voice the displeasure like that. I mean, you look, you compare it, again, the NFL, yes, it's a sport, but it's also entertainment when it comes down to the nitty-gritty when you think about it like that. So look at some of the things that have also happened when it comes to the music industry. Chris Brown, who is a convicted felon for punching Rihanna, people still watch his videos and buy tickets to see his shows. I mean, the fact that he had that video with Little Dicky called Freaky Friday, which I thought was just insanely awful and terrible and not funny at all, and trying to even talk about his controversial past in the video, I thought was in poor taste and not fun. I choose to not watch that video or give credence to anything that Chris Brown does. You look at R. Kelly and the the vast, terrible things that R. Kelly's done. He still does shows, but now more and more people, as the docuseries came out uh, about what was going on with R. Kelly, that has come out now. People are protesting that. Bill Cosby, even though he was still out working and doing shows with all the, the, the cases and the trial going on there, while that was still going on, he was trying to, to make a living, but people would come out and protest the shows and and along those lines. So that's the way you're going to do it. I, I've always been a person that wants to give people a second chance. Again, if he screws up again, by all means, you're done at that point. But you still should give somebody a second chance, and you still need to give people the right to work and make a living. And if a team in the NFL is willing to do that, warts and all, then by all means. Again, and people, of course, have started comparing it to, you know, well, he's getting a job for shoving and kicking a woman, but then Colin Kaepernick can't get a job. The Cleveland Browns have weighed the assessment that they can do something and make and have him, Kareem Hunt, be an asset compared to what they think would be a greater, say, media circus if they signed Colin Kaepernick. Or even just remember Tim Tebow when he was signed as a backup quarterback and the media circus that followed him around. The the talent is outweighing 
the baggage that comes with it right now when it comes to Kareem Hunt, or at least that's what the Cleveland Browns think. So we'll see as this develops. Of course, we'll talk more about this on Modern Day Gladiators. If you disagree with me, hit me up on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley, or again, shoot me an email at moderndaygladiators865 at gmail.com. I would love to talk to you and debate this with you if you have a different opinion. So let us know what you think, but that's going to wrap up this first segment here on Modern Day Gladiators. But thank you guys for listening. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with Shibbles and Bits and plenty to talk about in Shibbles and Bits. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver and Outlander Media Radio Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, I am still the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting here on the Outlander Media Network. Michael Shibley with you here. It is the second half of this week's episode of Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys, as always, for sticking with us and tuning in. A lot of big news here, as of course you hear the Pink Panther theme, which means it's time for Shibbles and Bits. The first big news, of course, Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray, he has selected now football over baseball, tweeting that he is fully committing my life and time to becoming an NFL quarterback. Uh, This is just, of course, days before he was supposed to report to spring training with the Oakland A's. He has decided he's going to return... uh, He's got to return $1.29 million of a $1.5 million signing bonus and forfeits the remaining $3.6 million, uh, $3.16 million that's left on there. Of course, there's been a lot of discussion about what Kyler Murray is going to do. And of course, we've talked about that at length here on Modern Day Gladiators. And again, I've, I've, I've swayed my mind. Really, the basis was do what you love to do. That should be the biggest decision. If you love playing football more, pick football. If you love baseball more, pick baseball. But really when it breaks down to it, it looks like, especially in the short term, Kyler Murray can make more money going the football route. Because if he is going to be a first-round draft pick, which is what he's projected to be right now, I believe uh, Todd McShay and... uh, Todd McShay's got him as a a first-round pick, number 13 by the Dolphins, I think. Also on Mel Kuyper Jr.'s big board, I think at 13 as well. So when you you factor that in and look at it, he's going to get a big uh, guaranteed money to start with. And again, he's right there in the NFL to start with. I think you look at what first-round draft picks normally do, and they spend... About three to five years, usually, I think, is the average for a first-round draft pick to be in the NFL, while a lot of times, I think, a first-round draft pick in the baseball draft, I think, like, 70% of them don't even make it to the show. They spend the rest of their whole career in the minors. So, again, that's something that I'm sure he was considering and looking at, so... I I wish him the best of luck. I'm excited to see what what he's going to be. Again, and people, of course, have been talking about his height. Of course, now, for most of baseball, I think you're almost at 5'9", or whatever he's listed at, 5'9", five, 5'8". Five, That's almost too short to play baseball for a, lot of, for a lot of positions out there. So, we'll see. I just want him to succeed as we want everybody to succeed. You know, Take your shot, and if you're going to be happy playing football and make the money there, go out there and make your money. And get excited about it. And I'm excited for him. And hopefully he'll be another great dynamic quarterback uh, in this league. So that's that's exciting to be. Always good to see when Heisman Trophy winners do well. Uh, because sometimes it, it they get kind of sidelined or whatever. I mean, Tim Tebow did okay for the five seconds he was in the NFL. And then just kind of faded away as no one signed him. Uh Baker Mayfield has done very well for himself. Johnny Manziel, not so much. Um, 
and uh, you know Mark Ingram at running back has done very well. Just a couple of the Heisman winners off the top of my head that I'm thinking about here in the NFL. Um, but there's then uh, Trent Richardson is not in the NFL. He's playing in the Alliance of American Football or the AF, as they call. It. They call it the Alliance. Uh, but it debuted over uh, the weekend. Uh, for, to very little fanfare, they, I think, kind of on purpose, they promoted it. I mean, they even had, I think, a commercial or a promote, promo for it uh, during the Super Bowl because it did air on CBS, but they, they didn't go as crazy about it as the XFL did when the XFL debuted almost 20 years ago, and I'll talk about them in a second. Uh, but they came out, and it showed, really, how much America loves their football because the ratings uh, about the ratings about 3.25 million people watched the CBS coverage of the two games that they kind of split time between which I believe was the uh, San Antonio Commanders versus the San Diego Fleet and the Orlando Apollos uh, versus the the Atlanta Legends were the two games that kind of were splitting time there on CBS. Uh, the games that happened on Sunday uh, did not get the same ratings. Of course, they were on the CBS Sports Network and the NFL Network. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Again, it's great that the ratings were up. And the ratings were better than a primetime matchup on ABC for the NBA. The Thunder and the Rockets, they had 2.67 million people watching that one. So the fact that half a million more people, give or take, were watching the uh the, the football game and it's not even the nfl was really key but of course the biggest uh, ratings winner of the weekend was duke uva that had 3.32 million people watching it of course a lot of people wanting to watch zion williamson in prime time and i think that was at six o'clock eastern time so that wasn't even fully prime time it'll be really interesting to see what the ratings are going to be like this weekend when tennessee and kentucky do battle i'm anxious to see what that's going to happen but even uh the pga uh, the PGA Tour stop at Pebble Beach with Phil Mickelson leading the way had a 2.93 rating with people watching. So, really, the NBA, which seems to be talked about a lot more than any of the other uh, promotional stuff that we talked about, Duke UVA, the Alliance of American Football, and the PGA, ESPN was talking far more about the NBA uh, because they paid a lot of money <laughs> for the NBA and they were fourth in the ratings. And that was a good matchup between the Thunder and the Rockets. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook have been able to do. James Harden, he has now had 30 straight 30-point games, only the second player to do that. Uh, of course, he's way behind the uh, the record center, which was Wilt Chamberlain, who I think had like 65 straight 30-point games or more. So just slow your roll on that uh talk to me when he gets to about 55 in a row then i'll consider that and then russell westbrook he did pass wilt chamberlain in a record he had 10 consecutive triple doubles which is very impressive my hat goes off to russell westbrook in that one but again people love watching their football and the curiosity factor is there, giving this new league a chance. They do have some new rules in the Alliance Football League where um, there's no kickoffs, no onside kicks, uh, no extra points. Pretty much the kicker is only there for field goals. Uh, kickoffs, instead, you start at the 25-yard line. And onside kicks, if a team elects to try an onside kick, what happens is... They have the ball, I believe, at their 28, and it's 4th and 12. So that's the rule there. Uh, and again, player safety, they're trying to move the game faster along. And someone I wish, uh, another rule that I know Sean Payton wishes the NFL had was they have kind of an eye-in-the-sky official up in the press box who can overrule an egregious error on the field. So you would probably have had, say, that non-call in the Saints-Rams-NFC Championship game. That probably would have been a call in that one. So we'll see the games again. They're trying to make the games uh, safer in terms of kickoffs and kick safety as well as shortening the games where, because again, without the kickoffs, you don't have the, uh, after a touchdown, you have commercial and then you have the kickoff and then you have another commercial. They've gotten rid of that. They're trying to get these games um, uh, under three hours and closer to two and a half hours. And I like at least the idea of that. We'll see 
how this progresses. Again, the XFL, back when they debuted originally, they had huge ratings. Like, I think a 10 million people, I think, watched the first game. Now, they steadily declined after that, so we'll have to see what happens. And one of the other things to consider, too, with the ratings for the Alliance of American Football is the fact that no more games besides the championship game are going to air on CBS broadcast. It's all going to be on the CBS Sports Network and possibly also some games on the NFL Network as well. So that is also something to consider when it comes to these ratings, but I'm excited for it. Uh, Meanwhile, the World Downhill Championships happened over the weekend in skiing, and we've got to congratulate Ilka... I'm going to just butcher this. Stuhek, Ilka Stuhek from Slovenia. She won and got the gold medal in that. But a congratulations goes to the retiring Lindsey Vaughn, who won a bronze medal in the final race. This was her final race of her skiing career. Uh, you know, at 35 years and 115 days old, she became also the oldest woman to medal at the World Championships. Um, the only person who has won more World Cup races than Vaughn was uh, Swedish great Ingmar Stenmark. Uh, so, again, this has been something great. Uh, congratulations to Corinne Suter of Switzerland for getting the silver medal in this race. And, of course, this is five days after Lindsey Vaughn, and we talked about this last week, she wrecked in the Super G race that happened. And it was a crash, a crash that would probably have people like me still in traction when it comes to talent. I mean, she was an incredible skier, probably the best skier America has ever had, and a a great career, and a world-traveled career, and, I mean, she always was someone who took risks. She took took corners very tightly. So, again, she would crash and burn a lot, and that's why she had so many injuries, uh, and that's why she's retiring 34. But... She did well, and we wish her the best in her post-skiing career. Uh, I hope good days are for Lindsey Vaughn out there. Switching over to baseball very quickly. Uh, Major League Baseball over the week uh, was discussing plans to maybe change some rules coming into the uh, Major League Baseball, mostly to shorten the game. Uh, Some of the topics that they talked about uh, during the uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Association. The big thing to keep in mind was the fact that the Players Association didn't just turn these down immediately. They've actually opened these for discussion. Um, but they talked about a three-batter minimum for pitchers. So you can't bring in a reliever, face one batter, and then bring in another reliever. They've got to face at least three batters unless there's a change in inning. Universal designated hitter. That's been talked about forever. Uh, having a single trade deadline before the All-Star break. Uh, 20-second pitch clock, that's the big one. Uh, Expansion of rosters to 26 men, I think there's 25 right now. Uh, 12-pitcher maximum. You get uh, draft advantages for winning teams and penalties for losing teams, so you can't just keep tanking. Uh, Maybe lower the mound, which would improve more hitting or... um, And then, of course, a rule that would allow two sport amateurs to sign major league contracts is, of course, talking about with Kyler Murray. The pitch clock is the big one because that has been the SEC started this uh, a few years ago and then it moved into, I think, all college baseball and minor league baseball. Essentially, you've got a pitch clock at at 20 seconds. So from the pitcher, after he gets the ball back from the catcher after a pitch, he's got 20 seconds to throw the ball. If he doesn't throw the ball in the 20 seconds, It is an automatic ball added to the count. If the batter calls time within five seconds of that pitch clock expiring, a strike is awarded to the batter. So that's something that we talk about. And, of course, mostly this would only be when, of course, the pitcher is pitching from the windup and there are no runners on base. So that's something to consider. But it has shortened the game in minor league baseball and also shortened college games. So definitely something to come out with. Universal DH... I could see that they're wanting more offense. I still do like the idea of the strategy of having the pitcher have to bat. I, I like that and the, the defensive shifts and things along those lines that they do with that. Now, again, you're probably not going to see any of these changes coming this season, but maybe into 2020 or even into 2022, I think, when the new collective bargaining agreement comes up for Major League Baseball. But I'm all for this. You shorten the game. You help it out a little bit because, I mean, I love Major League Baseball. I love baseball. But sometimes those games just take a long, long time. And if you can just hurry up, pace of play, and not have the pitcher have to walk around the mound or batter, 
like Nomar Garcia Pera, who he just flick around. I don't know why I'm flicking my hands. You guys can't see that. Flicking my hand, you know, getting his rhythm with his batting gloves and all the other crazy stuff that these guys do. Hurry the game around. I remember in Little League, you know, pitcher would get the ball, I'd stand in the batter's box and, and just go. Just go. That's that's really what this is down to. It's just move. So, um, but again, I'm all for some change, at least to speed up the game. Pitch clock, sure. DH, probably not. The other stuff, sure. Why not? If it speeds up the game, I'm all for that. Meanwhile, a couple of uh, sad notes, a couple of uh, pioneers uh, passing away in the world of sports uh, over the past week. Uh, first, we'll talk about in SEC, uh, in SEC land, former Vanderbilt athletic director and also vice chancellor David Williams passed away of a heart attack at 71. He was the first black uh, athletic director in the SEC. 15 years as AD, he left on January 31st. I think, uh, sadly, they were about to um, have like a banquet or a dinner in his honor coming up this week uh, to celebrate his time as athletic director. Um, but he sadly passed away. Four national titles under his watch at Vanderbilt, two in women's bowling. Yes, that is a collegiate sport. Uh, they, of course, won a national title in baseball and in women's tennis. Uh, he also hired James Franklin when nobody else was giving James Franklin a shot. Got Vanderbilt back to winning nine games, which at Vanderbilt is something you just don't do on a normal basis. And the fact that over the last few years, <laughs> James Franklin and Derek Mason have pretty much owned Tennessee. That's a hat off to uh, David Williams and what he's done there uh, for Vanderbilt University and again a true a true pioneer and an all-around good guy from everyone I've heard who has talked about him he was just a, a true gentleman of the game and just a, a pleasure to be around and he will definitely be missed in the uh, especially here in any capacity in the Southeastern Conference and another uh, big name passing away over the week was baseball Hall of Famer Frank Robinson passed away at 83 years old. Uh, he the only player still to win an MVP in both leagues, in the National League and the American League. He was also the first African-American manager when he uh, managed the Indians as a player coach in 1975. He was elected on his first year of eligibility to the Hall of Fame in 1982. 1956, Rookie of the Year with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and then uh, he ended his career uh, with 586 home runs. That's 10th all-time. I think he was 4th all-time in home runs when he retired. Triple crown winner with the Orioles in 1966, which also gave the Orioles their first ever World Series title. Been a long way down since then. Wow, the Orioles have been awful, especially this last year. Wow. Anyway, my beloved Orioles got a long way to climb out. But Frank Robinson, again, just a true gentleman of the sport, a wonderful person from everybody who's talked to him. Um, Robinson, again, he won his first MVP award in 1961 where he led the Cincinnati Reds to their first pennant in 21 years. 323, 37 home runs, 124 RBIs, uh, and uh, the Reds uh, lost to the, uh, the Yankees in the World Series that year. Despite uh, coming off um, a in 1965, despite coming off like a 33 home run, 113 RBI season, um, Reds owner Bill DeWitt shipped him off to Baltimore, thinking he was too old. <laughs> um, and then his first season in Baltimore, 1966, uh, he won the Triple Crown, which you don't do. He was 30 years old and named the American League MVP with the Orioles again. 49 home runs, 122 RBIs, a 316 batting average. And again, the Orioles winning the 1966 World Series. He got, um, he decided he was going to become a player coach of, um, or he was named manager of a major league club while playing for the Cleveland Indians. He was only given a $20,000 bonus to be that. Um, but I think what was really, really funny was in a fun story. He wasn't even going to put himself into the lineup on opening day as his first day as the uh, player manager. And the Indians owner told him to do it, and then he put himself second in the lineup. Uh, and then he realized the uh, the pitcher that day was, he was like, he's trying to strike me out. He's trying to strike me out on three pitches. 
as my as the first black manager, as a player coach, and he wasn't having any of it. So on that third pitch, Frank Robinson went out, hit himself a home run. So that's a pretty darn good debut as a player coach. But again, a, a, just a wonderful person to be around from anybody who got to spend time with him. I know uh, the guys at, uh, pardon the interruption, Tony Kornheiser, Mike Wilbon, who are in the D.C., Baltimore area, spent plenty of time talking with him, loved talking to him, and a true gentleman of the sport and someone who will be sorely missed. So rest in peace to, to him. As that wraps up shibbles and bits, let's also talk about someone who will be missed in the world of professional wrestling. This just broke uh, during the break here. I got a, uh, a text alert about this. WWE Hall of Famer. Pedro Morales uh, passed away, and uh, he, he again um, passed away age 76 from Puerto Rico. He was the first ever Triple Crown winner in WWE history. Uh, he beat Ivan Koloff for the WWF title, I think it was WWWF title, back in 1971. Held that title for two years, uh, and then he was defeated by... Um, he was defeated. Oh, my memory! I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this at some point. Uh, Stan Stasiak beat him in 1973. Held that title for 1,027 days. One of the biggest matches uh, of his career was when he was in Shea Stadium with 22,000 fans in 1972. He and Bruno San Martino battled to a draw, a time limit draw, there in Shea Stadium. For 75 minutes, they battled, and then there was a uh, state athletic commission strict 11 p.m. curfew, so the match was ruled a draw because they weren't going to be able to go any farther than that. He also was a two-time Intercontinental Champion, and of course he won the tag team titles uh, back in 1980 with Bob Backlund. But again, he was a, uh, a, a great ambassador uh, especially in New York there with the, the Hispanic community there. I mean, you hold the title that long in the, in that time period. It, it, just an amazing thing that they did, having that on Pedro Morales for that long. Of course, he was elected into the WWE Hall of Fame in 1995 and was a, a Spanish commentator for a long time. But again, a true, uh, as we say, modern-day gladiator here on Modern Day Gladiators. He will uh, be missed. But also to talk a little bit more about wrestling, there is a new uh, International Wrestling Grand Prix heavyweight champion in New Japan. It is the Switchblade, Jay White, as he defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi in uh, Tanahashi's first defense in his eighth title reign. Um, Jay White catching Tanahashi coming off the top rope and hitting him with the Blade Runner to get the 1-2-3. Jay White, just a young guy, uh, had had an incredible calendar year. Talking about he debuted at Wrestle Kingdom as the Switchblade uh, back at Wrestle Kingdom 12, losing to Tanahashi, but then through the rest of the year, he uh, beat Tanahashi and Okada in the G1 Climax Tournament. Uh, Kazuchika Okada. He also beat Kenny Omega in uh, for the IWGP United States Championship uh, back at the New Beginning event uh, back in Sapporo of 2018. So what a calendar year for him! And now he's got the title. You look at the path that he had. He would thought about coming becoming a pro wrestler and then kind of decided not to. He won a trip. He's a native New Zealander. He won a trip from New Zealand to go to Atlanta to see WrestleMania 27. Probably the only good thing to happen out of WrestleMania 27. Got uh, Watched the event. All expenses paid trip. Decided to give pro wrestling another shot. Trained. Uh, wrestled around the world. Uh, was recommended to New Japan by uh, Prince Devitt, also known as Finn Balor, and all this time has come back and has now been pushed to the moon and is now the IWGP heavyweight champion. And now, of course, people wondering who's going to knock him off, and we'll have to see. I've got a good take on that as Kota Ibushi, half of the Golden Lovers tag team with Kenny Omega, and we'll talk about him in a second. Kenny Omega has said that he is staying in New Japan. He's suffered a a concussion in his match with Will Ospreay, at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, but uh, he is going to be okay, and he is entering the New Japan Cup, which is the springtime tournament for uh, New Japan. It's a single elimination tournament, uh, so it looks like, and whoever wins that gets a title match uh, against the champion of their choosing, 
and we'll have to take a look at the brackets when they come out, but I would love for Kota Ibushi to get the win in that one and then maybe go on to face Jay White uh, in Madison Square Garden at the Ring of Honor New Japan Supercard that's happening the Saturday before WrestleMania there in New York, which will be a huge event. Can't wait to talk about all that stuff. Speaking of Kenny Omega, he has officially signed with uh, All Elite Wrestling AEW, also going to be one of these executive vice presidents, same as Cody and the Young Bucks. And of course, right in the middle of his press conference there in Las Vegas, uh, Chris Jericho attacked him, so a match has been set up for their May 25th, the first event of All Elite Wrestling, Double or Nothing, at the MGM Grand Garden Arena there in Las Vegas. And uh, just coming through yesterday, as tickets went on sale, all the pre-sale tickets sold out immediately. So uh, that's great news. I, I think you can get fit about 17, 18,000 people in that arena, which of course will be more than the all-in event that they had. Uh, regular tickets go on sale February 13th. I'm anticipating those selling out very quickly as well. On to the WWE, which has been interesting as we march toward, uh, of course, WrestleMania and Elimination Chamber. But I wanted to talk about this real quick. On NXT... On the NXT TV program this past Wednesday, there was an excellent match uh, between Drew Gulak and Matt Riddle. Both guys submission experts, of course. Matt Riddle, of course, had uh, MMA background, but is now in the WWE. They had just, it was a great match to watch. It was a very submission and grappling-based match, which was wonderful to watch because it was great, and it was something different. It wasn't just the same just formula that the WWE has been having all the time. And that's one of the things that I've talked about on this show that I like about New Japan is you look at Wrestle Kingdom, all the matches had some sort of different flow to them and they were different. I mean, you look at uh, the RevPro uh, British Heavyweight Championship match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Tomohiro Ishii. That was a great match just like this one. And I just wish the WWE would do that occasionally instead of everybody having to follow the same damn formula all the time. It just That's what gets so repetitive about it. Yes, Wrestle Kingdom was also a six-hour long show. But there were different things going on in that. There's a different dynamic to all of these matches compared to so many in the WWE that are just cookie cutter when it comes to the style of matches that they have. So that was great. And if you have the WWE Network, please check that one out. It's on the latest NXT taping uh, show. Drew Gulak versus Matt Riddle is something to watch. Of course, uh, one of the things that happened on Raw, the storyline was that Becky Lynch was having to apologize for slapping... uh, Stephanie McMahon and Triple H, and finally, after some hemming and hawing and deciding to finally do it, uh, she did, but then Vince McMahon comes out and suspends Becky Lynch for 60 days because he doesn't accept her apology, even though Triple H and Stephanie did, uh, of course, and that's, you know, that her suspension would finish five days after WrestleMania, so Vince goes ahead and picks another opponent for Ronda Rousey to wrestle at WrestleMania, and that's Charlotte Flair. So that's pretty much how we're going to get to this triple threat match, I'm sure, for WrestleMania, uh, where you'll get Becky Lynch, Charlotte, and Ronda Rousey in a triple threat match. Congratulations to The Revival, becoming the new Raw Tag Team Champs. They beat uh, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable in a good 15-minute match. They've been having great ones uh, at house shows, or reports had been that, so I'm glad they gave that match some time and uh, let them have a really good, solid tag team match on Raw, because usually the tag team matches on Raw go like five minutes, if that, sometimes with a commercial thrown in there. So I was glad to see that happen. And we'll see what happens with the tag team division there going forward. But the Elimination Chamber is happening this Sunday. The Elimination Chamber that, for those of you who don't know, a structure... Uh, It's a big cage that goes over the ring, and there's four pods in there. Two wrestlers start in the ring, and then every, I think, five minutes, maybe, it might be three, I don't, the the time determination varies, um, but what ends up happening is then another wrestler comes in to the match at that point, Uh, so of course going last is a huge advantage, there's six people in it, 
and whoever is left standing at the end gets the win. Uh, there are two Elimination Chamber matches happening on this card. Uh, the first, the WWE Championship on the line as Daniel Bryan, the champion, takes on AJ Styles, Randy Orton, Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy, and Mustafa Ali. Of course, it looks like Mustafa Ali might be out for this match, so we'll see if his replacement will happen on SmackDown, which, of course, I am recording this before SmackDown. We'll break that down if anything huge happens, though, before then. But I've got Daniel Bryan retaining and defending some against somebody at WrestleMania. We'll find out who. Other matches on there, the Cruiserweight Championship on the line, Buddy Murphy defending against Akira Tozawa. I've got to go with Buddy Murphy. He's been great as champion there. I've got him staying there. Braun Strowman versus Baron Corbin. I've got Braun Strowman getting the win again because Baron Corbin, I just I just want Baron, I like Baron Corbin as a wrestler, but I wish he'd just be off TV for just a little while at least, just to just clean, clean the palate a little bit. Um, the SmackDown Tag Team Championships are on the line as Miz and Shane McMahon are taking on the Usos. I've got Miz and Shane retaining, even though I think they're still going to end up fighting each other at WrestleMania, but that will be, we'll see what happens there. Um, the Intercontinental Championship is on the line as Bobby Lashley and uh, as the champion and Leo Rush defend in a handicap match against Finn Balor, which I'm sure Bobby Lashley will win, but then Finn Balor, I'm guessing, will face him for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania and probably get the win there. The Raw Women's Championship is on the line, and for all the talk about what's happening at WrestleMania with Charlotte and Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey, Ronda's defending the Raw Women's Championship against Ruby Riot at this event, and pretty much a foregone conclusion that Ruby's going to lose because they've been talking about what's going to happen at WrestleMania. So I, I I don't like the fact that they're getting in the way of their own programming with that. Uh, it seems counterinductive, and I feel bad for Ruby that she's in this situation, but hopefully it's still a really good match, and I hope it's entertaining. But I still feel bad that they're just stepping on their toes uh, with that one. Meanwhile, there's also the debut of the Women's Tag Team Championship is going to be on the line in the second Elimination Chamber match. Nia Jax and Tamina as a team versus the Riot Squad. Then you have Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville on a team. The Iconics, uh, Naomi and Carmella, and then Sasha Banks and Bailey, uh, Boss Hug Life, or whatever the hell they're calling themselves. They're going to be on that one. And uh, Sasha and Bailey are having to come in at number one into the match, though I am going to think, I'm predicting that they are going to get the win in that one and become the first ever uh, from the resurrected uh, women's tag team champions. So it's been a big show. I'm excited to talk about all the wrestling stuff that's going to happen as we move through next week and get on even closer to WrestleMania. But that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio and Outlander Media Network. I appreciate you guys, as always, for staying and listening. And as always, please like, subscribe, share, comment. Give us those reviews. That's how we make this podcast bigger and badder than ever. I love you guys so much. I'll see you next week. Too sweet. Love you. See you next time.